encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. We are in chapter 2 this morning. We've looked at different people in different ways coming to believe and follow the Lord Jesus. And just as the Old Testament begins with light, with the Word, and the old creation comes about in seven days, God blessing the seventh day, so in the new creation, we have started with the Word and with the light of the world. And we have spent six days in Jesus' uh, new creation, calling disciples to himself. And now the seventh day, it's called the third day in verse 1 of chapter 2, but it's actually the seventh day if you consider the different days in sequence. And Jesus is about to bless that seventh day. He's attending a wedding. It's probably those uh, he and his family, his earthly family, know. And it's not far from Nazareth. It's in a little place called Cana on the north uh, west shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he blesses this wedding, not just with his presence, but with his first miracle. The first 11 chapters of John is called the Book of Signs. Signs are miracles pointing to who Jesus is and what he came to do. And this first miracle happened in a wedding. No one knew about the water turning into wine apart from Jesus, uh, his mother and his disciples and the servants. No one else knew. It was done in secrets. His last miracle in the book of signs is not going to be at a wedding, but at somebody's funeral, Lazarus. And everybody's going to see it. He's going to raise somebody from the dead. But here, it's a wedding. And I've got three things to say about this encounter with Jesus. It's not one person that encounters him but a whole group of people. And we're told at the end, verse 11, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this is why we're looking at these things, so that you may come to believe in Jesus Christ and believing in him receive eternal life. So three things to say for our benefits, our eternal benefits from this wedding. And the first is this. Jesus' first miracle didn't happen in the synagogue or in the temple, but in someone's home, in a scene from everyday life, at a social event. It wasn't even the wedding ceremony. That would have happened at the bride's uh, home. After the ceremony, uh, the wedding party led by the bride and groom would have travelled to the bridegroom's house and there they would have had wedding celebrations which most of us are not familiar with. Because our wedding receptions in this country are far too short in comparison to what they did in Jesus' day and they still do in some parts of the world. In India, 
uh, wedding reception will last several days and nights. And it was a bit like that in the New Testament. And Jesus Christ here, this is my first point, he is not a recluse like John the Baptist was. He is attending a social event, and I want to emphasize here especially he's attending a wedding reception because marriage isn't something that is just traditional. It's not just something that the church has come up with. It's something that God has invented and Jesus Christ in attending, not just the wedding, but the reception afterwards is sanctifying the uh, ordinary social things of life. I think we need to hear that, don't we? Because often people can be put off Christianity because they think of Christians as people who are just killjoys. Now, some of us probably and I'm speaking of myself here, <laughs> don't help the cause because we're not uh, effusive by temperaments. But isn't it interesting that many of the miracles of Jesus occurred when he was attending social events? Jesus wasn't averse to making his presence known at such gatherings and of course a marriage is the social event par excellence i need to say this in the society we're in today because people don't believe in marriage anymore but god does god believes that it is a good thing for a man and a woman to join together in matrimony it's God's plan. Uh, when uh, Jesus' mother realizes that they've run out of wine, we'll come to that in the second point, uh, she says to Jesus, sort it out. Sort it out. And she says to the servant, whatever he says, do. Listen to him. Do you know why she says that? Because Jesus Christ isn't just an ordinary human being. He is that. We're going to be remembering in a few weeks' time the birth of the baby in the manger at Bethlehem. It was a real baby that was born. Not a freak. But Jesus Christ isn't just a human being. He's God. He's the creator. He's the maker of marriage. And whatever he says, listen, do. Isn't this why our society is in such a mess at this moment? We've neglected the maker's instructions. Uh, most marriage services, I use the illustration of the bookshelves that I had to build when I moved into the manse. The uh, billy bookshelves from Ikea. And I thought I knew how to put them together. And I started building the first one and it was nearly done and it wasn't right. There was a piece missing. And you know what I had to do? It was very humiliating. I had to admit that I did not know. And I had to take it all apart. And I had to do what I neglected doing from the start. And if I had done it, I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. I picked up the instructions. 
the maker, somebody with a Swedish name, had not written but put pictures to tell us how it was to be built. And it's like that, not just in terms of being saved, but in terms of how we order our society. God is our creator. He has created families and he's created nations and we neglect his instructions at our peril. So Jesus Christ here, yes, this miracle in a social event is going to be a sign of something spiritual, of salvation. But before we come to that, we mustn't neglect the common, the general grace of God. And Jesus sanctifies an everyday event like a wedding reception by attending it. Uh, we, we had a lot of people uh, in the wreath-making evening last night. And I heard that some uh, thought that the church is... I thought the church was full of fuddy-duddies. But now I realize it's not. I realize it's not. Listen, if you're visiting this church, we're not a bunch of fuddy-duddies. We believe in life. We believe that God has given us life. And that means enjoying not sinful things, not things that go against the word of God, but just the everyday pleasures of life. Jesus Christ was a person who enjoyed life. It's not a good advert, is it, for the church if we are looking as if we're attending a funeral when we come to church. We're not coming to church to attend a funeral. And even a Christian's funeral, even though there is grieving, we mustn't belittle that, it's still a celebration. And we are here this morning to celebrate what God has done in Jesus Christ. We are here to sing his praises. No other religion has singing. They have chanting. But we've got something to sing about. And when you become a Christian, God puts a song, not just in your mouth, but in your heart. I believe that this is one of the most powerful witnesses to Christianity, not just uh, discussing with somebody uh, the truth of the Bible, but showing that we have something that they don't. Jesus Christ attends a social events. And then secondly, the wine has run out. This is the key to the sign, the miracle that's about to take place. Now I'm treading very carefully here. In Jewish society, if there was no wine, you could be sued at a wedding reception. Just like today, if in a crematorium, if you go over time, they can fine the family. In Jesus' day, you could be fined if you ran out of wine in a wedding reception. That's how important the wine was. Now, we need to qualify this statement because even though in the Bible 
the wine is used, as we'll see in a minute, as a symbol of joy and fulfillment. Let me just give you a few verses. Uh, wine, says the psalmist, gladdens the heart of man. And then the invitation of the gospel using wine as a symbol of fulfillment. Come, everyone who thirsts, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. And the wine that uh, these people would have experienced at this wedding was authorized by none other than Jesus Christ because he created it. And the wine that they would have drunk and the wine that they would have had in Bible times was alcoholic, otherwise there wouldn't have been warnings about it. But this is where we have to be balanced. There are warnings also about the strong drink. Not many people can handle it, and so you've got to avoid it then. But the Bible never condemns the drinking of wine. It's drunkenness that it condemns. But uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago, in Wales, in uh, the beginning of the 20th century, drunkenness was rampant. Alcoholism was a disease. And many people, when they were converted, they wouldn't touch alcohol anymore. And rightly so. It was too much of a temptation for them. When I was a student, I was converted in my student days. Uh, Welsh-speaking students, they went to the pub, they drank alcohol for one reason only to get sloshed. And so as a believer, I would make a stand. I wouldn't drink. I don't know what the student scene is at the moment. I, but in my time, I would make a stand. On the other hand, when I visited one of our missionaries, Anatole, in Cameroon, in French Cameroon, in Douala, I was uh, fed every evening by the poor people in his church, and they went out of their way to provide a feast with wine, and I would have offended them if I hadn't drunk the wine. So the Bible doesn't condemn the drinking of wine. We mustn't go further than the Bible, but it warns against it. And some believers can't touch the stuff because it's too much of a temptation, but it's drunkenness that's the sin. So here, the wine is a symbol and for the wine to run out was a tragedy in a Jewish wedding reception. And it's no wonder that Jesus' mother, Mary, realizes that her son is the Messiah. She knows he can sort it out. I like that, don't you? We don't know how much theology she had, but she had enough theology to realize that he can. I know a man who can, as the old AA adverts used to say. I may not be able to answer all your questions here this morning. I certainly cannot deal with your problems. But I know a man who can. Jesus Christ. And this is the purpose of this miracle. It's a sign of a man who can give us something that the world can't offer. Wine is a symbol of joy and contentment, but the wine has run out. It's a very poignant picture, isn't it? Uh, you uh, can see it uh, on Queen Street or St. Mary Street on uh, Saturday nights. Uh, people wanting to enjoy themselves, wanting to numb the pain of their existence, getting drunk. 
and they think when they are full of alcohol that life is worth living, but the wine runs out, as it were. The morning after. Has the wine run out for you? Am I speaking to somebody here this morning who's very much aware that there is a gaping hole in their hearts that God alone can fill? You know, the wine can run out quite soon, you know. People can be young and successful and they can be rich, and yet there is something gnawing at them from the inside. That's the soul. Have you ever read, I like reading biographies, so have you read the biographies of rich and famous people? It's well worth doing just to show that wealth and riches and success do not fill the gap. It actually creates more problems uh, King Solomon, who experienced all those things, he came to this conclusion, vanity. Do you know what the word vanity means? Emptiness, pointlessness, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Uh, often, uh, many people won't be rich and successful. They'll just look on at people who are like that and envy them. I don't know why. <laughs> And as we get older, uh, the wine will be running out. Maybe uh, we can no longer rely on youthful energy. Many of us are in that condition. People have midlife crises, burnout. They were running on uh, their natural uh, strength, but you can't rely on that forever. And as I'm looking at many uh, older faces here, you know what I'm talking about when I say old age doesn't come alone, does it? The mind becomes feebler. Uh, you no longer enjoy things that you once relished. Whatever our condition this morning, and I don't know what state you are in, at some point the wine is going to run out, my friends. And have you got something then? Uh, one of my favourite um, poems is that by Walter, Walter Lander Savage. Walter Savage Lander can never get his name right. Uh, he was 19th century. He must have been 19th century because he compared Swansea Bay to the Bay of Naples. <laughs> I don't think he would have made that comparison today. And this is what he wrote. Let me get it right. I've written it down. I fought with none, for none were worth my strife. He was a cynic. Are you a cynic? You've given up on life. Why? This is what he says. Nature I loved. I, I, I loved going out on walks, enjoying uh, the creation. But the problem is, as I'm getting older, I'm not able to go on walks, am I? I may be stuck inside. Well, it's all right. I've still got my mind. So next to nature, art. I can appreciate books. I can appreciate music, films. I warmed both hands at the fire of life. But the problem is the wine is running out. The flames are going down. They're dying. It sinks. 
and I am ready to depart. And I've got nothing. I've got nothing to face the final enemy death with. All those things that I could have relied on, those props that I leaned on, they've been removed. Is that somebody here this morning? Because if it's not you at this moment, maybe you are content at this moment, I think it's just a cover. Because when we're on our own, that's when we know that it's all just outward. It's all a mask. But even if you think you are happy at this moment, the wine's going to run out. And one day we will all have to die. Period. Maybe you're saying to me, Pastor, I thought you said it wasn't a funeral. It was something to celebrate. Hang on. I haven't got to my conclusion yet. (laughs) What is significant here is what Jesus did to turn the water into wine. He used six water pots. Now, these weren't just ordinary water pots. They were there for the purification of the Jews. What's that? Well, these water pots were used to carry water Uh, and it wasn't just any water, it was ceremonial water. And that water in the old dispensation, in the Old Testament, uh, was used uh, to symbolically cleanse you from sin. So that's why in Jesus' day, the Jews, before eating a meal or after eating a meal, they would wash their hands. It wasn't just for hygiene's sake. It was a ceremonial washing Now, isn't it significant here that in turning the water into wine, Jesus Christ is using the ceremonial pots and the ceremonial water in those pots, and he is going to transform that into something better. My friends, it's not just hedonism. It's not just the pleasures of this world that don't satisfy the longings of the soul. Religiosity isn't either. Maybe we need to hear that. Maybe we are feeling quite proud of ourselves by saying, well, we don't get drunk. We don't indulge in all the things that the world is indulging in outside of the church. But the problem we have is this. Well, religion isn't going to provide the answer either. Six water pots. Do you know why I'm emphasizing six? In the Bible, seven is a perfect number. Seven is complete. But religion can only give you six. Is there somebody here this morning who is trying to fill that God-shaped hole with just coming to church? Now, it's a good thing to do. But that's not what makes you a believer. It's a good thing to pray. It's a good thing to read the Bible. It's a good thing to sing God's praises. But religious uh, roads isn't enough. Whether it smells and bells on the one extreme or whether it's more uh, laid-back entertainment on the other. None but Christ can satisfy Have you come there? Give me but Jesus. Give me but Jesus. Jesus Christ, in his first miracle, is announcing, in effect, that all the ceremonies of the Old Testament are done. He's come 
with new wine. I feel sorry for you if your Christianity only consists of religious things. Now, of course, we, we do come to church. Uh, it would be wrong not to. And we do religious activities, praying, reading the Bible, hearing a sermon, uh, singing uh, God's praises. Those are all religious deeds. But that's not the essence of Christianity. They're means, aren't they? They communicate something else to us. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys. I like this. And lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. What did we sing in that grand third hymn? What a wonderful redemption. Never can a mortal know how my sin, though red like crimson, can be whiter than the snow. The ceremonies of the Old Testament can't cleanse you of sin. They were signs pointing forward to something else. Jesus Christ uh, uses a phrase here, doesn't he? Uh, when his mother spoke to him, he says, my hour is not yet come. Isn't that interesting? My hour is not yet come. It's going to be repeated throughout John's gospel until we reach a point where it says, the hour is come. What hour is that? It's the hour when the Son of Man is lifted up to die. It was on the cross that Jesus dealt with all the ceremonies of the Old Testament. It was when he died for our sins on the cross that the veil of the temple was rent asunder. It was by shedding his precious blood on the cross. And it wasn't just any blood. It was divine blood. It was that blood that cleanses from all sin. All the blood of Jewish beasts on Jewish altars slain were just foreshadowing that blood of the Lamb of God. And that's what I'm offering to you this morning. Jesus Christ. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. So the wine is pointing to Jesus Christ and the forgiveness and the fullness and the joy he gives. Not religion. Not the world. But Jesus Christ. This church is here for one reason. To lift Jesus Christ. To glorify Jesus Christ that we might come to believe in him, that we might come to know him, that we might experience more of his fullness. And then, there is one more thing here, isn't there? The master of ceremonies, I think that's the person who is speaking here, after Jesus has performed the miracle, and remember it's a secret miracle, uh, he says, every man at the beginning set out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you though, have kept the good wine until now. That's amazing. The pleasures of this world, they run out. The joy that Jesus Christ gives 
gets better with time. Uh, if you're into wines in any way, you will know, using the wine metaphor, the more mature the wine is, the more expensive it is, and apparently, I'm not speaking from experience here, the tastier it is. The vintage love of Jesus Christ satisfies like none other. This is AD 33 vintage. What he did on that cross. Do you know what this is? This is the beginning of signs. It's a miracle of grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is undeserving favor. You give a gift to somebody uh, often because... Uh, they deserve it, maybe. Uh, maybe at Christmas time, you give somebody a card because they've given you a card. There's like a system, isn't there? But that's not grace. Grace is giving somebody a gift and they don't deserve it. They're actually your enemy and you're showering them with gifts. And that's what Jesus Christ does to you and to me. I'll just show how this... Salvation of Jesus Christ is like wine. It's just getting better and better. Do, do you know what salvation is? It's of the Lord. It's not us, whether through good works or religiosity, trying to fill that gap, making ourselves right with God. It's all of Christ. All of grace. And it comes to us. Do you know what grace is? Think of the maths. We've already mentioned the six. Think of grace. When John talks about grace, he doesn't say grace plus grace, does he? Grace plus grace. Now, that would be good. Grace plus grace. That, 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 that would be good, wouldn't it? As you're getting older, instead of the grace of Jesus Christ running down, it's adding but it's not grace plus grace. It's definitely not grace minus grace. That's not grace. And it's not grace divided by grace. That's not grace. Do you know what the sign, the mathematical sign of grace is? Do you know what it is? It's multiplication. John says earlier on in chapter 1, grace upon grace. Isn't that right? Where sin abounds and doesn't sin abound in our society today, we shouldn't despair because grace super abounds. I don't deserve it. You don't. All I do is gratefully accept. I can't take it in. I can't. How did one hymnist put it? This is why it's a celebration. Yes, I'm not satisfied with the pleasures of this world. Yes, I'm left empty by mere religion. Yes, one day I'm going to have to die and stand before my maker. And if I am not forgiven, I'm going to have to face eternal judgments. But we're not here just to talk about those things. There is something here that will give us hope, that will cause us to be able to rejoice. What is it? It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ, especially in his death on the cross. And when I think, I know we've got communion tonight, but I can't wait till communion. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die for me. 
I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my sin, my burden, gladly bearing, praise God, he bled and died to take away my sin. That's true religion for you. How great thou art. Not look at me, how religious I am. How great Jesus Christ is. What a saviour, what a saviour. Students, you've got a saviour to declare to the student world. We're not just about being against this, against that. In a sense, we are, but we're for, not just for marriage, but we're for Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that comes through his grace. Do you know what else? Do you you know what Jesus is doing here in this miracle? He's creating something new. Uh, It's not um, Ribena or something. It's not diluting. Uh, No, not diluting. It's it's not the right way to do it, is it? When I had Ribena as a boy, you put the Ribena undiluted in first, and then you added the water. Well, it didn't work if you tried to put Ribena into something that was already water. I don't know if I'm making sense, but (laughs) Jesus isn't doing that here. He's not adding a little grape juice. He is actually transforming that water into something completely different. It's an act of creation. Do you know what happens when you become a Christian? It's new creation. It's not me turning over a new leaf. It's God taking away the heart of stone and putting a heart of flesh. It's Jesus Christ coming into my heart by his spirit. I'm a new creature now. There is nothing like that. This is why we are still here, a Maohid. It's because we've been created from above. It's because even though as the outward man decays day by day, the inner man is being renewed by the Holy Spirit. And do you know what happens? Do you know what happens? We're getting maturer. Not in a drab, uh, grumpy way, but we're getting sweeter. Uh, Think of a grape that's not ripe. It's bitter, isn't it? As we are growing in Christ, we're getting sweeter. Don't don't you see that in some older Christians? I've made this my vow. Lord, I do not want to grow up into a grumpy old man. I want to be mellow, Lord. I want to be sweet. Don't, Don't you know older Christians, they're so sweet, aren't they? And it just permeates their being. And it's catching, it's catching. The path of the righteous is as a shining light. We're not heading toward sunset, but sunrise. The best is yet to be. Let me just read, I'm coming to a conclusion Jesus Christ keeps the best till last. His gifts become sweeter every day. No time can cloy them. Advancing years makes them more precious. The end is better in the course than the beginning. And when life is over, this short fever of the life, and we pass into heaven, 
the word will come to our lips with surprise and with thankfulness as we find how much better it all is than we had ever dreamed it should be. Lord, when we get to heaven, we'll say, you have kept the best until last. My friends, isn't that something worth rejoicing in? Let me come to a conclusion here. Uh, There was a minor converted Uh, And again, drunkenness was rampant. And this miner gave up drinking alcohol. And he was being taunted by somebody. Didn't Jesus turn water into wine? And you know what this miner said? I like this. He said, yes, he did. And in my life, he's turned wine into clothes for the children, into food for the family. He's changed my world for the better. I like that. Have you ever been to a wedding? Those of you who are not married, you're still single and you're in the wedding. A best friend of mine, he met his future wife at a wedding. She, she was a bridesmaid at the wedding. Do, do, do you know what? I'm imagining now Jesus Christ He's never going to be married in the ordinary sense of the word. And he's at this wedding reception. So he's not going to be thinking about his own marriage, is he? And yet in another sense, I think he is. I think he is thinking about one day he's going to be married to his people. And there's going to be a wedding reception. And it's going to be unlike any other reception Uh, The wedding receptions that you have in the Middle East eat your heart out. There'll be nothing like the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you going to be there? Even if you never get married, you are married or betrothed to Jesus Christ. And that's amazing. Because this marriage is never going to be annulled by death. Death is going to blossom it, and it's going to be forever and forever. Heaven is going to be one big feast, one big celebration. Not as the world celebrates, but pure worship of Jesus Christ. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. Well, I want to come to a conclusion. My concluding remarks are these when you receive an invitation to a wedding you have you still have don't you at the bottom r s v p responde sivu play we're all being invited this morning to that wedding that will be in heaven between jesus christ and his people come Come, everyone that thirsts. Are you aware of an aching void? Come. Are you thinking, I'm all right at the moment? But it's not all right, is it? And it's certainly not going to be all right. Come, without money, without price. And find in Jesus Christ wine and milk that will satisfy your deepest needs And that's just the beginning. It's going to get better from then on. 
And we as a church are marching towards that new day. And we want others to come with us for his name's sake. Let's sing now, what a wonderful change since Jesus came into my heart. 102 in the supplements.
I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and will be their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, we just pray that the call has gone out, the invitation has gone out this morning, and we pray that every one of us here will respond in repentance and faith. I am coming, Lord, coming now to Thee for washing, cleansing in the blood that flowed on Calvary. Now may His grace and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.